Roger Montgomery analyzes the profit results we've seen so far, those coming up, plus the current state of the stock market. I thought it worthwhile to bring in Roger Montgomery, of course, from Montgomery Investment Management and somebody that I will always go to to speak about not only the company results as they're coming out, but the state of the economy, the state of the markets. And he joins me now. Roger, many thanks for your time as always. Always a pleasure, Ross. Great to be with you. Okay, we've seen pretty much the first week of the major profit reports coming out. And, you know, broadly in reasonable terms, they don't look too bad. The market hasn't really tanked. Nothing's really happened there. But the only fear, the fear that I've got at least anyway, is this is still almost looking in the in the rear vision mirror. It's the forward-looking statements that you've got to be more conscious of. And when you do that, maybe you start to get a slightly different perspective of just what the prospects for profitability for a lot of companies might be into the future. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. So the results that we're seeing now uh, take into into account, obviously, the period up to June 30. uh, And that includes uh, the lockdowns for much of Australia. Um, But Unfortunately, the conditions are so dynamic and so variable and so volatile uh, that companies have been pretty unwilling to actually provide any guidance for the next 12 months. Analysts are, are taking a, a guess, and, uh, and so on the sell side, the broking analysts, uh, they're having a guess that uh, there'll be a major recovery uh, this financial year. It'll be uh, a little bit more muted than the following financial year, but by the time we get to 2022, uh, everyone's expecting a full recovery by then. I'm, I'm not so optimistic. I'm not so sure about that. Um, but that's, that's what analysts are thinking at the moment. And, and it's really interesting because we've also even seen the Governor of the Reserve Bank out uh, in the last day or so talking about, you know, sort of the fact that recovery is longer off, that there is systemic um, higher unemployment around 7% that's going to be there. And he also makes the very clear observation that people have got to recognise that if money is raised from whatever means, um, it ultimately has to be repaid by future taxpayers. And I, I get a sense that that is what a lot of investors and a lot of people in the community are simply missing. Yeah, I think, and, and in addition to that, um, we're, we're, we're going to have a lower tax base. Uh, so the government's go, it's going to take a lot, lot longer for the government to actually be, be able to finance uh, the debt that it's now amassed. Uh, and, and the reason that's the case is if you have a look at the quantum of companies that are actually going bankrupt, that's starting to accelerate. So companies in administration, either voluntary administration or they've brought in the liquidators, um, that's starting to rise. And if you look at the ASIC uh, and ATO data, you're seeing a lower number of registrations of new companies and a lower number of registrations of Australian business numbers. So what that's telling you is, particularly in the retail space, you've got a lot of companies that are going broke and you haven't got as many companies coming in to start up to replace them. And what that means is that when JobKeeper ends, uh, when people have tapped out their superannuation, um, it's going to be harder to get a job uh, and they're going to be earning less money because the, the jobs simply aren't going to be there. And even if you think about companies that exist today that will still exist in a year or two years' time, if they're reducing the number of people under their employ, 
it's relatively easy, Ross, to sack a thousand people, believe it or not. Um, I mean, it sounds heartless, but you simply send out an email saying, don't come to work on Monday, HR will be in touch. But you think about the process that's required to rehire a thousand people. It's a long process. And that's for the businesses that exist. But what we know is there's going to be fewer businesses around. So to my mind, at least anyway, this is almost playing out like other recessions I've seen. In other words, the government comes in immediately with a, with a, a fiscal response. Um, it, it effectively tries to prop up companies and prop up individuals. But the, the issue here is the length of time in which the economic hurt is going to go on for. And eventually, the real danger is that the government runs out of steam or runs out of, out of money to be able to continue to prop up companies and individuals. And it's at that time that the real hurt is spread throughout the community. And that's the reason why I think there are these warnings from the Reserve Bank Governor and others about the longer-term prospects for Australia. Yes, so what we've done is we've adopted Keynesian economics and John Maynard Keynes, after the Great Depression, advocated government intervention when economies slow down. And the reason why is because if you leave the economy on its own, businesses are scared, they're scared to invest, they're frightened to um, commit capital. Uh, and so you end up with this sort of horrible spiral down where businesses don't invest, people aren't employed, they earn less money. So then businesses have fewer customers, they have to sack more people and so on. And so John Maynard Keynes said the government has to step into the breach and fill the void. And that's exactly what we're seeing at the moment. But what we've learned since the Great Depression is that there is a cost. There is a consequence of the government doing that. There's either got to be higher taxation down the track. We've got to have inflation to help pay off the debt. Um, or we end up with financial, what's called financial repression. And that's where you have zero interest rates. And the zero interest rates means that the private sector, so people who've got money on deposit at the bank, they earn nothing, but that's helpful for the government because the government's paying nothing. Uh, and so they get to pay off their debt much faster. And, and none of those things are desirable. Uh, and that is going to be a consequence of a recession combined with the action that the government's taken. Okay. When we look at the... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that uh, the other side of this is, in the stock market terms at least anyway, it seems to me as though already there's a presumption that there is a, a vaccine coming for the coronavirus, and it's coming very yeah. quickly. But what is not on the other side of that conversation is, well, what happens if there's not? Because the path to create a new vaccine for any vaccine is a very long one. And notwithstanding all the effort being put into a coronavirus vaccine right now, it may certainly be a lot longer than many politicians are right now telling the community. Yeah, in fact, there was a, there was a terrific interview uh, between a professor at Harvard University and Kenneth Frazier, who's the CEO of the pharmaceutical company Merck, uh, and he said in that interview, just a, just in the last week or so, he said in that interview uh, that out of the seven new vaccines over the last 25 years that have been developed, and none of them, by the way, for, were for a coronavirus, um, the, the, the shortest one took about five and a half years, uh, and, uh, and Merck was responsible for four of those seven vaccines. Um, he said to expect... Well, he actually said in the interview that politicians should be more honest and prepare the population to consider that next year, this time next year, will be exactly like the conditions we're experiencing right now. It won't be any better or any worse, but it'll be the same. 
and and that's very different in terms of the stock market's expectation. So the stock market's looking at the earnings reports at the moment. The banks look pretty good. Their capital ratios are up. Their bad and doubtful debts don't look so bad. Their dividends are up. Their net interest margins okay. Uh, NAB and CBA have reported, and so everyone's thinking, hey, it's looking pretty good. And if we get a vaccine, we're back to normal. We're off to the races. Yeah, I'm not so sure, Ross, that that's uh, that's going to be the case. There may be a wave of disappointment that comes between now and Christmas. And this is the whole issue about it, because when people have to adjust to a new normal, in other words, not the normal we know where people can travel overseas and tourists come in and foreign students come in. So therefore, the Australian economy and Australian business may have to adjust to a new normal. And those companies that are quickest to adopt this and to really get on top of it are possibly going to be the ones that not only survive, uh, but may find themselves in, in better shape down the track. From the profit reporting season so far, have you had any, any inkling that there are any companies that are thinking that way? Oh, definitely. There's no doubt about that. And so what we've seen is we've seen an acceleration of spending or investment uh, on e-commerce. So basically, you know, a lot of companies are reporting that they've had Christmas-like trading conditions right throughout the lockdown period, particularly those that were set up. So the Kogans of the world, for example, um, you know, they've done very, very well. They're seeing, they're seeing growth of more than 100% year on year uh, in revenue and, and earnings. Uh, and then you've got companies like um, uh, Accent, for example, which owns the Platypus and Hype DC stores. Uh, they saw their stores, obviously, store sales suffer through lockdown. But what they saw uh, is was massive growth in their online sales. Uh, so people in lockdown are surfing the internet. They're buying products online. The other big thing that's been going very well is a little business called Marley Spoon. Marley Spoon provide meal kits uh, delivered to your door and you pay a week in advance. Um, they don't pay their suppliers for 30 to 45 days. So they're generating what's called negative working capital and that's, that's generating a lot of cash from them. The founder of that particular business started a business called Delivery Hero in Germany. It's now almost a 23 billion US dollar business. He's now started Marley Spoon. It's listed in Australia and it's generating huge growth as well across all metrics, margins, delivery, revenue. It's going really well. So, so where people are going to be locked down for longer or working from home for longer, whatever you can imagine their behaviours are going to be as they do that, the businesses that are serving those behaviours they're the ones that are doing really well and probably will continue to do so. One or a couple of companies that I've spotted, bigger companies, one is Goodman Group, uh, which I find yep. really quite fascinating, which makes most of the big Amazon warehouses around the world and has made some of the biggest data centres in the world. And we know that uh, data centres as a group on the stock exchanges, both here and overseas, have been astonishingly successful. They're literally like renting out uh, those giant mega computers that are making certain that our Netflix or our, our internet uh, continues on. So yeah, all the that, data centres, so, that's right. So that's one. That's one company that really I've spotted. Yeah, and they, and Ross, they, they're twenty. They've, they did give guidance for um, financial year twenty one, and that guidance was well ahead of the uh, market's consensus or consensus estimates. Um, they're forecasting earnings per share growth of about nine percent, and the market had about five percent growth forecast for them. Um, so they're going incredibly well, and their balance sheet is really, really strong. 
And the other one, of course, is Telstra that a lot of people might know and have. Um, in many ways, for many of those investors, almost like a perennial disappointer because it just doesn't seem to, to grow because of the structural issues that Telstra, as a very large company, has had to try and make itself smaller, leaner, and, and more what I sense it's going to ultimately become, which is probably Australia's largest high-tech company. Uh, but certainly after this profit report, um, it, it did not under any circumstances impress the market, which saw the shares back down to where they were earlier this year. Uh, but I still get the sense that there's probably more to come as the whole 5G rollout really does gain some momentum inside that company. Yeah, we think they're probably they're probably best positioned of all the telcos in Australia to take advantage of the theme that we call the Internet of Things. So as more devices are connected to the Internet um, and and more bandwidth is required and, and lower latencies are required, um, Telstra has got the network and the and, and I guess the trust factor uh, for people to be willing to spend more for that fixed wireless network that Telstra is going to start investing in. That's what they've talked about. So the market was disappointed that they're you know they're suffering at the moment because mobile service mobile service plans you know, the pricing still under pressure. Um, you know, they're not getting the uplift that uh, the market was anticipating yet. Uh, but I suspect as 5G rolls out, Telstra will be the one to watch. It's interesting to note in the coming weeks, we're going to see the big supermarkets, which have seen their share prices hit all-time highs, the likes of West Farmers with Bunnings. Uh, so, you know, some of those stocks that really, in many ways, are the beneficiaries of the whole stay-at-home um, are going to come and, and report. And, of course, they might very well be some of your staples of the future, even though in the past they might have not been seen as being terribly attractive or sexy or high-growth or anything like that. But isn't it interesting, in recessions, people's attitudes will change towards some of those types of companies? Yeah, and, uh, and, and with Woolies, Woolies, with their technology, their database technology uh, is well ahead of Coles. And during the, the, the severest part of the lockdowns in Australia, they actually signed on a million new online customers and rewards customers. Uh, and they'll be able to take that, that data of a million new people and cross-sell a whole bunch of other services uh, and products to them. And so they could actually be a growth company again and much more exciting than they have been in the past. It's going to be interesting to watch it. So, all right, I'll tell you what we'll do is we'll check in again in a couple of weeks' time as some of these profit reports come out and try and do this on a regular basis because it really is instructional for people listening. And for you and I, of course, we get the chance to have a bit of a chat and uh, to try and catch up on some of those themes. But the one I think we take out of today is you cannot guarantee under any circumstances right now that there is going to be an immediate vaccine for the coronavirus, no matter what Vladimir Putin says. Roger, great to have a chat. Good to chat, Ross. Talk soon. Here's what else is happening. This week's profit results kick off with JB Hi-Fi. Look, it's been a really good result. The sales up 11.6%, net profit up 33%. That clearly is as people stayed home and bought more electronics gear. Uh, Kogan, that's the same story. The result, though, quite exceptional. Gross sales up 39%, net profit up 56% to $26.8 million. It really has just emerged almost from nothing from Russell and Kogan's brain. Also this week, BHP will post an exceptional profit with iron ore prices soaring. The CSL result will be dominated by talk about ramping up any prospective coronavirus vaccine. Domino's Pizza, well, it's flying as people are locked down. 
Stories the same for Coles and also for Bunnings, owner West Farmers. Their out later this week. Uh, Qantas, though, will be one of the disasters. It'll barely break even uh, for an underlying profit last year of $1.3 billion. Well, that's it for today. Look, we've got some terrific episodes and ideas coming up over the next week or so, so keep on downloading. In the meantime, I'm Ross Greenwood, and these are the Money Minutes.